Thank you for joining us today. My name is Maccabee Griffin. And I'm Marcella. And this is Beyond the Pen, where we take the well-known adage, read between the lines to a whole new level and beyond. Each week we sit down with a new author to not only discuss one of their books, but also learn the story behind the story. All right, Marcella, you've brought us another uh, wonderful author. So as usual, here we go. So one of the things that I've noticed something about our show over the two months that we've been doing this is the willingness of these authors to show us their very raw stories. And this one is no exception. It is straight black and white, the story of not only our author, uh, but her family as well. And there was a lot of things within that that were very heartbreaking at points and uh, triggering for me in terms of being the protector, um, because there was a lot of things I really, mm, mm. anyways. Wait, um, Wait till you talk to her in person. Oh, I know. I know. It's going to be really wonderful. And it's, but this is something that's very important when, you know, you've been through stuff like that because these stories are very, they're very important because they will be able to connect with people on a personal level in some way, shape, or form. And our next author is a woman who has been very successful in her life and helped others to see their true impact on this life. And because of that, she's become a very well-known life coach. And because of this, she decided to do something that a lot of other people try to do, but they can't really. And that's just be able to finally listen to her instincts and use them to serve others. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I bring you the instigator herself, Miss Sylvia Worsham. Sylvia, thank you for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Appreciate Hi, you very Sylvia. much. Hey, Marcella, how are you? Maccabee, it's how a pleasure you? to meet you. Oh, doing well. Doing very, very well today. Thank you for asking. Well, that's good. We really want you to be on your toes today because, you know, between me and Marcella, you're going to get some interesting questions. Well, and at least from my course, end, yeah. I say bring it. Go ahead. <laughs> You know, who's showing, who's throwing shade this time? Anyways. I'm just making up for all the lost time, sweetie. Uh, that's true. Okay, I'll give yeah. you that. All right. So, Sylvia, if you introduce yourself and tell us something that most people don't know about you. Okay, well, I'm Sylvia Worsham. I live in Austin, Texas. I'm first and foremost a mother of two beautiful kids. One is seven years old and the other one's 16. So, you know, quite a bit apart. And I'm an author of Journey to Me, Trust the Wisdom of Change. It's my very first book released in October of last year. And I'm a certified speaker, coach, and trainer with the John Maxwell team. And I speak multiple languages. That's something that a lot of people don't know about me. Uh, Obviously, the people that end up reading the book know that I do speak several languages because the languages are in the pages themselves. So that's one note to say about me. And I've been uh, a trainer for 
since 2017 and one of the things I love to do is conduct masterminds and I can't wait to dig into my first book and have a group of men and women who are at a crossroads and kind of guide them towards their soul's true desires. It'll be my pleasure to do that. So, And you know what? I think that's wonderful because it is a, a very bilingual piece of literature. Um, and it's fun. It is something that there's a lot of sayings that I didn't even know how to say them. And now that I do, I am probably <laughs> going to use them a lot. Um, but here, here's one of the things I really wanted to start out by asking you. So in your book, you talk about how our subconsciousness can create these limiting beliefs after a traumatic or negative event that happens in our lives. Uh, you even created a formula and a mind map as mm -hmm. a visual for us. So to help explain that we're creating this long lasting narrative about ourselves based on something that we had no control over, mm -hmm. what person or event in your own life brought you to this conclusion? Um, honestly, my, the one event as I was writing the book was really the event. I started to map out my subconscious. When I went back and reflected on my life, I thought, why is it that I had the, I'm not enough or I'm not worthy of my dad's love and affection? Where is that coming from? And one time as I was walking and I did a lot of uh, walks in nature when I was writing this book, that was the way I connected to my higher source. I uh, got this vision and, and the vision was think of you being the tree. And I was like, tree, what the heck, you know, and that's my coaching process. So if you can visualize a tree for me right now, this is my coaching process. The soil that feeds that tree are your trauma and your memories and the modeling you receive from home. That's what's feeding your tree. And the roots of the tree are your beliefs. And they either stem from fear or they stem from love. You know, but likelihood, if we're in this position and you need a coach, it's likely stemming from fear-based, right? And as you go up the, the base of the tree, those are your thoughts and your attitudes. And that's your conscious mind. This is the choices you have in life. But when you get to feelings, that's when the real action starts. So if you can stop it at the thought before it becomes a feeling, you're golden. But if you let it, if you let the process go, where you start thinking of these things, you're going to start giving it more power. And by the time it turns into a feeling, your mind is ready, set, and fire. And that's that diagram I shared in chapter one, where the feeling is central. So when you have a very strong feeling, one of the things I kind of guide people on is ask yourself, what feeling is it? And what are the triggers and the patterns that show up every time that feeling is present in my life? And when you do that, that's when you start to map out your subconscious mind. Because all of the answers you're looking for are inside of you. They're just deep inside of you. And you got to uh, give, you got to dig a little deep, you know, some reflection. So however that works for you, whether you do meditation or you go on walks like I did or, or you journal like I do, the answers are going to come to you. And you're going to start understanding how these things all fit together.
I don't know if I answered your question or if you need clarification on anything I said. No, that's 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 good because it, it's something that I believe a lot of people really need to listen to now because of there being so many mental health um pen we're in a mental health pandemic let's just put it that way it's a straight <laughs> pandemic um because it, it it is something that people are starting to realize and they're starting to hear and notice more is because of the fact that we're so open with it anymore you know obviously there was a lot of generations prior to us that didn't talk about that you know your 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 dad's uh, father your grandfather um was one that came from a totally different uh, generation to where it was, you know, you were the head of the household and you had that social facade to uphold that, you know, if the house wasn't taken care of a certain way, you had the uh, approval by society to put your wife back in place. And unfortunately your grandmother took a lot of that, um, mm -hmm. You know, there was a lot of alcohol involved and that thing. And thankfully, your great aunt uh, mm -hmm. took your dad in. And thankfully, because of that, was able to put him onto a different track. Because we've all known that environment makes us, besides the traits and the behaviors that we pick up from everybody else, it's the environment that we're in. And one of the many coaching tips that you provided for the reader was to apply the law of reflection in your life. Now, can you clarify that a bit for our uh, audience and its importance to your original formula? Of course, of course. The law of reflection is something I learned from John C. Maxwell in his book, The 15 Invaluable Laws of Personal Growth. And it basically says you must stop and reflect to allow growth to catch up to you. And what does that mean? Well, daily, we're learning. We're go, go, go. And our subconscious mind has no filter. So it's taking all of that information in. The conscious mind has a filter. So you're able to stop certain uh, influences for penetrating you if you so choose to. But the subconscious mind is always on, right? And so when you reflect daily, you are able to catch your growth and document it. So, for example, I journal at times or I do gratitude journaling at the end of my day and I'm kind of capturing what I learned from others. You know, I was so grateful to have met Marcella, for example, in Clubhouse. And this is what I learned from her in this particular room, you know, and how am I applying that in my life is X, Y and Z or how I plan to. Right. So that's the law of reflection It's so important that you do it because life is always on the go and it's really up to us to be able to tap in to our inner source of wisdom, our intuition and to and to connect in some cases to the mind of God. And that is what I talked about a lot in the book. And, you know, obviously with Marcella, yeah, she she has a very big influence on not only people around her, but me being one of them, it, it is, again, I always say this, as much as me and Marcella pick on each other, it, it's a, it's a, it's a sibling thing that we have, even though we're not siblings, but I always put it as she is the weirdest 
and the most wonderful uh, older sister that I have because of the fact that she has accepted herself so willingly to be stated as, oh, I am the weird one and I don't care. And it, it is one of those things that I see, uh, especially when we're talking about Luna, who, by the way, I love Luna. I always have since the day that I first met her and heard her. Oh my gosh. I love that little girl anyways, but it was something that really brought into reality, something that unfortunately as parents, we either deal with, or we're afraid that we're going to have to deal with it. And that's high school. And I have to admit, I have a thing that kicks in when I hear the word bullying or read bullying. It drives me to the point where logic sometimes doesn't lie there. Mm -hmm. um, I feel very protective of people that go through it, especially my own children, um, because they've gone through it. My, my oldest has gone through it. And I don't know how your parents did it, because I'm telling you right now, I would have had some very choice words with a few parents and a, a few administrators as well. Thankfully, you had a teacher there that was mm -hmm. you were real comfortable with and safe with, and that's really great. That's probably because, you know, my wife loves me for this, but uh, she also hates it as well because I have no filter at that point. And again, I don't know how your parents did it, but I did want to ask you, why do you think as a coach we do this? And is it because it's something that's just as a parent that's within us when it comes to dealing with these situations in a certain way, like me being again, the very protective, I just want to go out and murder people with that. Do this. <laughs> I, I I'm telling yeah. you, I'm very protective of my kids when it comes to this stuff. I've seen how it can affect people. And that's why I'm so protective of them when it comes to this stuff. I just want to fight their battles. Uh, why do you think that is? Is it just a, a maternal paternal thing or do you think it's just some it's something environmental that we've seen? I think maybe you were personally affected by it at some point in your life and maybe Ooh. your subconscious mind has stored that somewhere and it needs some reflection for it to come up to the conscious part of your mind. It would take, you know, some time to do that. I think for some people when you do have that protective quality in you, sometimes that is innately a genetic component of your personality you know, that you have a certain trait. Sometimes you've seen it modeled by others, uh, particularly the parent roles, you know, and I know that I have modeled that to my kids, that fierceness and that independence and that, you know what, don't allow anybody to ever treat you that way, ever. You stand up for yourself. How did my mom manage it? She's a super mom and she is like the heroine of the book. And then as you progress through the rest of the book, there's another hero that emerges and that's my husband, my second husband. And everybody falls in love with Donnie in the lighter parts of the book. But in the first parts of the book, my mom, everyone who read the book said, I want to meet her because she sounds awesome. And uh, I don't know. I mean, for her, she had a very strong, um, she had a very strong dad and he passed that on to her. And luckily I got the best of both worlds. My dad was in the, in the third chapter becomes like a good role model, right? And where he tries to stand up for me. But in the second one, even in the second one, he was, he was always there and he was always someone that would remind me of my beauty and 
uh, why guys would invite me to dances or anything like that. He was always that person that was always telling me, you're amazing, you're beautiful, and you're strong. And that's probably why they don't come up to you, you know. But in answer to your question, why are you a protector? There could be other, there could be many reasons for that. Well, you know, I'm always trying to be like my sister, too, because she's very protective as well. Um, <laughs> well, I, get a, I have a question because I, I, I'm thinking about this. And and of course, it's resonating all around. You know, I, I have my children have struggled with things and I've always had to run to the school and be the advocate and the protector, whether or not they were right. And we've instilled these things and or we're trying to instill these great morals and values into our children so that they can become stronger how do we show them okay you did this and you were wrong but i'm still there i'm still backing you up i'll share the the story from the book chapter two that part where she tells me you can stay home and become their victim or you can go to that dance, stand up to your bullies. Either way, I will love you. Doesn't matter the choice you make. I'm still here and I am, and I love you. And I know you're going to make the right decision that's in alignment to your soul, basically, is what she was saying, right? Which at the time, as a, what, what was I, 16, 15, 16, no, 16 years old, it's, it's a very big decision to make because it's scary to face your bullies. And on top of that, the whole school found out that I had been his second choice. All right. So now I'm facing all of that plus the bully himself, which I run into, as I know Maccabee Parley read, I run into him in the line to get our pictures taken. And I ask how his grandmother's doing because that had been his excuse that he couldn't take me to the dance because his grandmother was sick and he had to go visit her. But the truth was he had asked another girl to the dance. So that level of bullying, and I and that's just one example. I mean, mine is mine was more emotional torture. It was never physical. They tried to do something to me physically in my junior year of high school. And luckily I was a cross-country runner and I was a basketball player. And I outran the four women, the four girls that tried to corner me to to hurt me physically. So in answer to your question, how? By telling her, no matter what, I am here for you and I love you no matter what choice you make. Yeah, absolutely. Because one of the things that we as parents of children with on the spectrum, it's a we have to step up a lot more sometimes, I think, than your average everyday parent that has a normal neurological child comparative to what we have. Because there's a lot of things that... We want to teach them how to take care of themselves and to stand up for themselves. But we also have to understand that we can't fight every war for them. And sometimes that really is hard for me and Marcella to do because we are so protective and so um, outspoken would be a, a nicer way of putting it. Um, we are very blunt when it comes to our feelings and what people and how people uh, treat our family especially our kids. Um, but it is something else that I really thought was funny is that as, as you were talking about, you know, later on in the, in the second chapter where you have, you're going down, uh, down to the beach and walking with your dad and um, having this conversation, he only asked you two questions. And 
out of that whole time, you were really waiting on him just to like put his lecture in there or say something. Um, but I love how you put it that that your mom probably told him if he did did that, she would cut off some external uh, <laughs> body parts per se. Um, <laughs> that was in chapter was, three, but yeah, oh three, yes, that's why. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I I had to say that because I knew Marcella would get a kick out of that because that's that's literally what she would probably do. Um, but for me, I still thought it was a great great thing that you were able to present to everybody because that is something that a lot of us as parents don't know the level of, okay, where do I stop talking? Where do I start talking kind of thing? What, what are the things that you really learned from that situation from your parents that you were able to bring into your own parenting for your children? Their ability to connect first with me right? First, you want to validate the person's feelings. Like, you know, this is, and that's a form of connection, right? Listening is another enormous form of connection. What, what do most people want? They want to be heard. So the fact that I was, he was asking questions and then shutting up and listening, that's sales 101, by the way. So for anybody listening in for sales as well, you ask a question and then you shut up and listen because what you want is you want to understand their perspective. How can you talk to them and influence them if you don't know what they're thinking? So that's what I took from both of their examples. They knew when to speak and when to just shut up and listen. And and like you said, this is something that you brought into your your sales life as well, your career. And my, my one thought on that is that it is true. You know, even as a host, we have to understand when to listen more and when to talk more. Uh, thankfully I'm the talker, Marcella is the listener. So we, we basically just create one host, good host. I read the books, she reads the, the author. And that's another thing that I think that's allowed us to, be able to bring that one idea of like, okay, what are we doing? How are we doing this? And, you know, for me, I, I love how she's able to do that and to listen to the author and get that feel for the author. Because there's sometimes where even as someone who listens to people, it's not my strong suit. I can't read other people very well. I can, I can interpret and I can project that same type of personality, but I can't read that person real well. So I have to rely on, you know, people like Marcella to do that for me. So Marcella, did you have a, a question for her? I was working it out in my mind because every time I want to ask a question, she's already answering it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel like Sylvia, I know. Sylvia and I are on the same wavelength, um, which is, it's funny to me because I think about you and you show up. And I didn't tell you that the other day, but then you said something very similar. And that's, a, that's another important thing I think about being the protector and, and even not just with bullying, with just being there for a person, just showing up. It takes a lot of intuition. And um, I feel like I, I find that in you when, you when you've come into the space and you've shared your stories. Um, I, I feel like you're not just sharing something. You are, you are also listening. And I think that's what's really good about a coach or a trainer. So, and you said that, you said, listen ask questions and listen. But I, I want to know, have you ever gotten resistance from someone 
and not known how to respond to them, what do you do? Would you tell them a story? Would you ask more questions? Um, it's it's just a curiosity to me because they're like with children, with my children, sometimes I'll ask and I'll ask and I'll ask and I'm still getting, yeah, no, maybe stuff, you know? So how how do you respond to that? With that particular situation, I will guide my children and say, okay, right now, I think you're feeling, tell me what you're feeling, right? What's the feeling? If it's overwhelmed, and if you are overwhelmed, because that's what I'm feeling from them, and that's why they don't want to, they get stuck, it's take your time and just think about it. I'm not going to pressure you right now, because pressuring you is only going to make you more overwhelmed. And as a coach, I've, I've had the situation come up in my one-on-ones with people or even in masterminds where there's that long pause and there's like silence and you don't know what to do with that silence. Sometimes that silence is necessary for them to allow the answers to come up into their awareness to the conscious part sometimes takes that silence and it's uncomfortable because it's uncomfortable, but very necessary. And at times when I've gotten resistance in other forms where they get combative with me, because that's when patterns are showing up, I actually rejoice when that happens. And people look at me funny and why are you rejoicing? And I said, because patterns don't like to be seen. They don't ever emerge to the surface. They're always working underneath the surface, kind of like a, a great white. I kind of I think patterns of behavior act like great whites. They circle around, they look at the situation, and then when they're ready to, they take a big, massive bite. That's how patterns operate in your subconscious mind. So when you see them come up, rejoice, even if people look at you funny. You know, and with your kids, just tell Luna, you know, I tell Andres, my boys, like, you know what, right now, it's not the time. Maybe you need to sit on it. Maybe you need to take a bath, whatever you need to do to just kind of like clear your mind. When you're ready to talk, I'll be right here and we can talk and I can help you. You know, I think that's really cool. Um, and I, I agree with that because it, it's something I think that is something parents really don't know how to do. And, and we do feel that awkwardness when, when it's just nothing but silence. That's just, I think that's just a humanistic thing that we just don't like to deal with, period, because we don't know how to feel. I want to ask something, because part of the reason I think that we've connected is because of something traumatic that happened to you in your life that I think helped to shape the Sylvia we're talking to right now. Um, I would love for you to tell the audience about that. Sure. My pleasure. And in fact, as you're saying it, the Holy Spirit kind of came into the conversation. So I know I'm being guided. So thank you for that question. I appreciate it. So in April of 2012, I was a single woman, 37 years old with a little boy, six year old. And I'd been divorced, what, three years, something like that. And I was already dating my second husband. So he was my boyfriend at the time. And he invited us to go for Easter. And a couple of days before I left, I started getting chest pain. And I thought, must be my stress level. I worked for Pfizer and I used to put in 50 to 60 hour work weeks. So I didn't think anything of it. But still, my mom, being my mom, was pressuring me to call my brother, who's a doctor. And he said, um, 
just call him and see what he says. So I called him and I gave him my symptoms, but it's all over the phone. So in all fairness to him, he never saw me clinically. And he was like, you know what? It sounds like you have pleurisy. And for those that don't know what pleurisy is, it's the inflammation of the lining of the lung. And it's very painful. So just take this for the next five days. You should be okay. So we take a flight <laughs> from South Texas to Houston. And we meet up with my boyfriend. And I'm already super pale. And I'm having trouble walking. Uh, but we spend the night, luckily, in a hotel room. And uh, in the middle of the night, I felt a pain that felt like 50 knives piercing my chest. And I woke up and I didn't know what was happening. I just thought, wow, this, he wasn't kidding. This is really painful. Right. But somewhere deep inside of me, I heard a voice that said, lean forward and you'll be able to breathe. And I did for four hours. And when I woke up, uh, when Donnie came and knocked on the door, uh, I woke up and I was like, you know what? My intuitions tell me some, there's something else going on here. I don't think this is what it is. So let me just call my brother and just see. And so I call my brother and, and he goes silent on the other side of the line and goes, did you fly yesterday? And I said, yes, I told you I flew. And he goes, you need to get to the ER immediately. And, and please don't leave to Louisiana until you've had a scan of your lungs, at least. Please beg. And he was begging me. And I'd never heard my baby brother talk to me like that before, ever. So I, you know, we rushed to the hospital. And um, I walk in unassisted. And they tell me, well, what's your pain? You know, and I said, well, if there's anything above 10, I'd like to, you know, kind of raise my hand to that. It's really painful. So they do a scan. And within minutes of getting the scan done, I have a doctor that walks into my ER room and says, a woman in your condition should not be sitting up talking to me right now because you have two large pulmonary embolisms that are in your left lung. And that's probably what they passed through your heart last night and they should have killed you, but didn't. Uh, so we're going to admit you in stable condition. He goes, and we need to do another scan tomorrow because your liver is inflamed and we don't know why. So they do a second scan the next day, and all of a sudden, I get six doctors in my room. And, you know, I'd been in sales for a long time, and not one of them was looking me straight in the eye. So I knew it was bad news. And um, and they said, we have a real problem. I thought to myself, really? Aside from the two large pulmonary embolisms and, like, multiple emboli everywhere? They said, you have a large blood clot, and it's in your vena cava. And the vena cava is the large vein that carries blood up to all your main organs. He goes, and it's blocking your liver. And if it manages to completely block the blood supply to your liver, you're going to go into acute liver failure, and you're going to require a transplant. He goes, and do you see the three guys on your right? And I turn and I look, and there's three transplant doctors on the case. And, you know, Donnie is crying. My mom looks lost. And I have one vision in my mind, and that is falling in God's arms. Because I knew science. Obviously, the doctors didn't think I was going to survive. They had given my family a 20% chance of surviving. Because what I had been diagnosed with is deadly, Bud Carey syndrome. And I just remember surrendering to God's will for my life. And begging him to please let me survive because I, you know, as a mom, I thought of my little boy and then I had just started dating this guy and I was really excited and I didn't want to die, you know. So they rushed me to the, uh, to the ICU and they start this medication that when they gave me the side effect profile, I was like, 
wow, I was facing death, stroke, liver transplant, possible liver failure, and pulmonary embolisms. I mean, all the way around, it was, it would have crushed anyone's spirit. And yet in that broken space, I felt peace because I had surrendered to God. And the next morning, a woman with the Catholic diocese came into my hospital room and Donnie was in there with me. And so we formed a prayer circle. And in the middle of the Our Father, a love so immense enveloped the whole room. It's, it's hard to put it into words. I, I struggled to put it into words in the book. And I felt this peace that just washed over me. And it was so immense. And I remember knowing I was okay that the threat was gone because the second option they had discussed with me would have likely killed me. And that's why the doctors were trying to avoid it. It was more interventional. And when she left the room, Donnie turned to me and said, you felt him too, didn't you? And 20 minutes later, they wheeled me in. And I already knew that I was okay because God had cradled me in his loving arms. And I had been given that immense peace. So that's the story that I told Marcella's group yesterday, although this time I added a little bit more detail. That's. Thank you for sharing that with us. That's a, you okay, Mike? Um, yeah, no, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just, I'm in all of what you just said. Um, I had, you know, it's funny. I had a question about how, <laughs> about red flags and uh, God's instinct, but I think you covered that one pretty quickly on that one. Um, but I think it's really interesting, honestly, how, and, and this is where my belief comes in, my faith comes in too, is that uh, the, the first word that I really wanted to say was amen. Um, and I should have said that. Um but it, it is something that I believe a lot of people just don't realize when it comes to listening to, um, as you put it, uh, God's uh, instinct. And it's something that we all have. We just have to listen to it. We just choose not to listen to it sometimes uh, because we don't want to want to hear it. We want to see what we want to see. And that comes down to obviously that whole perfectionism thing and, and uh, you go pretty deep into that in the, in the book as well. Um, but I think it's funny is that there's so many things within the book already that just shows how much he has been around you. Anything from protecting your, your sister, uh, Roxy, when she was young, from dying on the mountainside to helping you go through your first marriage and how he dealt with you and all these other things that happened to you and your family. I mean, it, it's just something I think a lot of people just don't want to think it is true that they are worthy because there's a lot of things that we don't want. We don't believe that we're worthy of that. Um, and that's something that we've either heard like you, like you said in, in the book is like when someone's been telling you so long that you're not worthy of this or you're ugly or all this other stuff, you just believe it after a while. 
and we've had we've had a couple of of uh, guests on here that went through the same struggles, just like many others, and they were happy to finally get rid of that feeling. And I, I think it's one of those things that I really believe there's a reason why they were on our show and the reason why you're on our show. And, you know, to me personally, I, I just want to thank you so much for sharing that and being real and raw and saying, mm-hmm. having that connection, because I know when people listen to this, there's going to be points where people are going to hear it and saying, you know what, that's insane. You know, that you clinically should not be here right now. Clinically, you should be in the ground. But obviously, <laughs> we're seeing exactly what God can do for people. So anyways, you know, I, I'm, yeah, I, I, I'm out of questions. Uh, <laughs> uh, Marcella, do you want to, do you want to go I've ahead? Got, and ask you I've got my two last questions. Yeah. Okay. Mac used to call this the lightning round, but I don't see how it's, it's lightning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It used to be a lot easier for people to do, but now after a while, people are just adding more onto it. Okay. <laughs> it used to be five questions. We just knocked it down to two. Um, awesome. What is, <laughs> what is your writing kryptonite? My impatience. Oh my gosh. That was my biggest one. As I was writing this first book, I was so impatient at times that I, I would sit there and I would ask him, what do you need me to write about? I need you to send me the message. And then there would be silence. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? Like, I don't need silence right now. I need to keep writing. (laughs) I'm never going to finish this book if you don't talk to me. So it was I applying the, the law of reflection and focus on a daily basis and just getting quiet within my own mind and being patient because it always happens on his timing yet i'm this action person and you know when i get a task done i just like put it down like fast it drives my husband crazy because he's like could you possibly like step back for a moment i'm very action oriented in the this profile i would be considered a d because it's all action and sometimes we forget to think things through right and the c he's a C, a high C. So that drives him nuts. So the patience aspect would be my kryptonite. I don't think we've ever had that answer ever. Or impatience <laughs> rather. No, we, we've never had that. I love that. I love that. Um, okay. So my final question is famous quote or something you've written yourself that keeps you going, helps you with your writing or just keeps you going in general. You know, the one thing that's popping into my awareness is how badly do I want this? And I ask myself that question constantly. How badly do I want this? It kept me going when I, in chapter 14 of the book, I have a very, um, my second marriage went through an emotional turning point and we were faced with possible separation or divorce. And another powerful encounter with God occurs in chapter 14. And I seek the guidance of a coach And I start changing certain habits that were getting in our way. And I start this conditioning program that really starts to 
put pressure on my fear-based ego identity. It was starting to rear its ugly head. And I wanted to quit the program and I wanted to quit because I, I was angry with God. And, and I was like, why do I have to go first? Why do I always have to make the changes first? Why can't he do it? You know, and the answer came back very strongly of because you're emotionally equipped and he is not. And so I kept asking myself, how badly do I want this? How much do I love my husband? How much do I love my family? How much do I love my life? And every time I said that, I kept pushing through, no matter how hard it got, no matter how much I wanted to quit, I did not quit. And it was the same with the book. How badly do I want this? And I just kept going. Man, that is awesome. So I want to thank our guest, Sylvia, for being on the show today and being so raw and so caring and loving to allow us to even have that chance to even see that. And everyone, you got to go out and get her book, Journey to Me, Trust the Wisdom of Change. Sylvia, thank you again for being on the show. The floor is yours. Please tell everybody where they can find you, if you have any events or anything like that that you want to share, or just something that you would like to just share to close the show with. I do want to tell everyone that's listening today that you are a beautiful soul. You have an immense light inside of you. And this world needs you to be the best version of you. So you go out there and you be the best version of you every single day. And you know why? Because if you have kids, it gives them the best chance of being happy, well-adjusted adults. And I really thank you for your time today. From the humble part of my heart, I appreciate very much uh, for you guys listening and tuning in to this interview. And should you wish to connect with me, it's sylviawarsham.com is my webpage, simply my name.com. And I'm on all social media sites, including Clubhouse. So look me up, Sylvia Warsham. I may have to start putting in um, my new nickname that I was given, <laughs> Sylvia the Miracle Warsham. And the book you can find really anywhere online. It's available in all formats, every type of e-format uh, you can imagine. It's available, paperback, hardcover, um, Amazon. Uh, I don't know what the Amazon version is for international, but that would be a appropriate as well. Barnes and Nobles in the United States. Um, any independent bookstore, you walk in, you can order the book because I signed up with uh, Ingram Sparks and that makes it available to any independent bookstore in the country. So that's how you can find it. So I thank you so much. And thank you, Mac B and Marcella for having me. I, I truly, truly had a blast talking to you all and I look forward to future collaborations. And you know what? Everybody needs to go and get it. We, we've had so many wonderful authors on here. And no matter how many times I say you have to go get this book, it, it's still true. You have to go get the book. Help <laughs> change your life. It's truth. Okay. All right, Marcella. I already liked her. <laughs> well, yeah, I knew that. You knew her. You, I knew you liked her before you. I even met her. It, it's simple. You got to give something more than that. Come on. She's she's just um, she's a miracle. That's true. She's That's a miracle. True. And I um, personally, I know I know what the book is about. 
um, just because I did go and I, I, I did a little bit of research when I met Sylvia. Um, I think that everyone needs to have this, especially if you're a parent. No, I, I definitely agree. It's, it's something that if you've been told so many times in your life that you're not worth anything or over time you felt like you were nothing, or even if you're, if you're a parent and you have children that are going through that, you need to, you need to get the book because it is something that I think will inspire a lot of people to take that change and to realize how important they really are to the world. Um, we all, there's a reason why we were born. There's a reason why we were giving the gifts and the power that we have, no matter if someone sees it or not in themselves, but it comes straight down to it. You have the power to in change your life. You have the power to make a difference in someone else's life. And you just need to realize that and go after it no matter what. So until next time, folks, as we always say, keep writing, keep inspiring, and keep sharing as you go beyond the pen. Hey folks, that's a wrap for this episode of Beyond the Pen. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed creating it. If you'd like to stay connected and up to date with everything Beyond the Pen, follow us on Twitter at Beyond the Pen Pod and Instagram at Beyond the Pen Podcast. For even more content and exclusive access to our guest profiles and more, make sure to visit our website at beyondthepenpodcast.com. Don't forget to join our Facebook fan page to interact with our favorite authors and fellow fans of the show. And if you want to take your Beyond the Pen experience to the next level, check out our selection of video interviews on Traverse TV's video on demand and live stream. You can access these interviews through your Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, Google Play, iTunes, or the Traverse TV app. So until next time, thanks again for tuning in and remember to keep writing inspiring and sharing as you go beyond the pen.